It's that time. Everything and anything basketball. Presented by The Outrage. With Cajun Furitani Castleman and host Spencer Byers. This is Polar Opposites. Welcome, everyone. Polar Opposites, Spencer Byers, Cajun, Theruth, Danny Castleman. Welcome, everyone, to our Thursday edition. Cage, I think we should start off with just, you know, we missed Monday. Working, doing stuff. More Raptors games going on. Big win. We'll get to that here in a moment. But we're going to start off with the rule change. So we talked last week. We ended the show. If you didn't hear it, you should check it out. It happened up on Tuesday. We, again, had to post it a day late due to some prior commitments. But, Cajun, yep. you, uh, we talked about at the very end of the show about the player participation policy, the new fines coming in, and it, it not having the desired effect it would have we, we would have wanted and, and the league would have wanted. Adam Silver, again, stating that it is an 82-game season, which you and I both know the athletes do not treat it as, as much as such. So I pose the question to you that this week we're going to start off the show with what rule would you put in place or one or two rules, but what rules or rule would you put in place that 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 you think would change and or at least give the NBA a chance to make this more of an 82 game league than a um than a just a I'll say 65 game league because I think the cap. For qualifying for a major award, like MVP, like Sixth Man of the Year, what have you, is 60 games. Mm-hmm. So they're saying it's an 82-game season, but is it? Is it really? So, Cage, what what rule did you have in mind do you think would change what's going on right now in the NBA? Well... I think one rule that I would have in mind that would change the change things and this has to go this has to do with um um the player participation policy rule that they put in place. But I want to tweak it a little bit. Um one I said this before. I said this before in our last episode. If you're just if players are straight up resting, suspend them for five games. Now, you you mentioned this before, Spencer, that this could be a this could have this could just enable guys to like rest more. But based off of like how good the West is, like teams like the Clippers or the Lakers. I want to say the Mavs because they blatantly did it at the end of last season to keep their draft pick. Um, they can't afford to do that. Even teams like the Miami Heat, who are notoriously known for resting players, and they did, and they did that with Jimmy Butler earlier. And lo and behold, they're last in the East, which is music to your ears. Teams can't afford to do that. To fall behind the eight ball. 
because talent wise, both conferences have gotten better, especially in the West, especially in the West. So there's got to be some sort of punishment in terms of missing games for guys that want to go astray by the by by rest by just resting games. And um it's got to be team induced. Cuz I don't think it's really I think the league can't just do this on its own. Give them a reason, like, give them a reason not to not to rest games, like, n- not to rest games, and and take and like have like monetary incentives too for like playing a certain amount of games, like bonuses. Like adding on to top, adding on top of that, so that there's more financial motivation for these guys to be playing close to 82 games in a season. Now, obviously, there's going to be injuries, and that you can't prevent. But if you're healthy and you're on the court, you got to play. And if there's any other reason that you can't play, and if it's just for, and if you're not playing because of rest, there's there has to be a penalty for missing games or like some sort of financial disincentive or incentive. I agree, Cage. I think the fine would work better to the individual player, not the team. I also, I I think that's a great mention you give there that they should have incentives in their contracts. And maybe that could be honestly a really big number. And I'm not saying like I'll make it a million or two if they play 60 games and 70 games and it goes up to 80 82 games i honestly think teams should say okay i'll give you 20 million dollars if you play 60 games or less i will give you 30 million dollars if you play 70 games or less i will get or between 70 61 and 70 games i will give you 40 million dollars if you play 82 games 70 games genuinely because i wonder how much of that would change guys like kevin durant lebron james anthony davis devin booker Mm -hmm. Bradley Beal, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. And I know I'm not blaming any one of those particular athletes for resting games or or fake, I'll say faking injuries, but embellishing injuries. Because I'll be honest, Cage, I'm getting sick and tired of looking at an injury report and I see left, left knee soreness, back stiffness. I'm sorry, okay? You cannot tell me you are a professional athlete and say soreness is enough to sit out you can't convince me Mm -hmm. if it's a if it's a medical strain or a sprain obviously a break you know something that actually happened it's not just sore where you can roll it out like i'm sorry i guess you should have stretched before you went on the floor like uh, that doesn't make any sense to me and I know it's just to rest. I know it's a it's a it's a ploy to get out of the idea of having to rest a guy if they're in the parameter of a star, which means an all-star game, an all-NBA team, or one other qualifier. It's all-star game, all-NBA team in the last three years. And there's one other one other thing. It might be max contract, but regardless, there's a star quota in the NBA, and you have to hit one of the three criteria. You can be in any one of the three criteria to count. 
and then you'll count as one of the players that cannot sit. You cannot sit two stars in one game. That cannot happen. But one can sit and one can be injured. Wow. So all of a sudden, Cage, Anthony Davis has a leg strain. LeBron's just resting. Or AD has a back stiffness. Or LeBron's got back stiffness or neck stiffness. And AD's resting tonight. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you on that point. And I'll be honest, Cage, I've had a lot going on the last couple of days. So for me, I completely forgot what I was going to say on this one. To be completely honest, I should have wrote, wrote it down, but I obviously didn't because, you know, I'm a guy. And we're real, we're chronic for not writing stuff down, Cage. And I think you I think you can vouch for me on that one. Yep. Going to a grocery store, no list, never had a list, never wanted a list. That's always a bad idea, Cage. I can tell you from experience. <laughs> um, but my idea, if I'm just trying to kind of work my way through this, would basically have just been find a way, find a crux that you can not necessarily make players play because you'll never really be able to do that, but get them to get to that point. And if it's honestly, Cage, and I'm not sure this will ever happen, to be honest with you, but at this point, I would be for if the NBA said, okay, we're going to cut the games. If you guys are going to sit out, out of 82 games, we're going to set out 12 games. We're just going to cut them. We're going to go down to a 70-game, 65-game season. Have the, the season in tournament. That, that doesn't count to the, the 82 or the, the 70 or 65 games. But shorten the season so these guys can't rest. And then there's no excuse. You know what I mean? Because there's really no other, other remedy for it, which is why it's so aggravating to us fans. And I'll even say the GMs and coaches that are in the room. Because... How do you get a guy to play when they don't want to? And again, this has been a, a change in sport we've seen across all sports, all major sports, all all sports you get paid millions of dollars to play. Basketball, football, hockey, soccer, foot, foot, or the footy if you prefer. I do personally, but whatever. The reason why those particular things have moved in that direction is because it's gone from the athlete caring to the athlete seeing this as a job. And I think Nikola Jokic is the poster boy for this. And as much as I like Nikola Jokic, I'll be honest, if it was any other athlete, I hate his I hate his mentality. Because I hate when guys play sports and to play it as a job. That it's not the sport they enjoy. That they just do it as a they're just really good at it. It's just a job to them. And I'm, that's, not sure. and that's just I'm me. not sure if you could really consider in terms of like resting, maybe. Oh, no, no, not in that, not only in that sense, but I feel like people like Nikola. I'm not blaming Jokic for this at all. I don't like no, I don't think Jokic has ever sat out a game in his life because again, it's a job for him. He doesn't want to lose the money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But guys like, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to question the passion either because that's something that always angers an athlete, even though you can unequivocally prove it with the way they act on the floor and off the floor. But mm-hmm. like, you can't convince me that Kawhi Leonard loves basketball. I'm not saying he doesn't, but you can't convince me he does. What what has he done to prove to me he does love basketball? He sits out openly. And I'm not saying that's because of injuries. I know it's because of injuries. But for me, and I know this is my personality, Cage, regardless of my my physical well-being, if I'm able to participate, I'm going to participate. Regardless, I will figure it out after. Mm-hmm. I, I will leave at, before the game and after the game worse than I was during the game if it means I can give my team a chance to win. Because that's me. I want to win. And 
I just don't see it anymore for most athletes. I see them see this as a job. So if they feel sick, like you and I would, we call in, they call in. Hey, coach, I'm not going to play tonight. My hamstring's hurting. My leg's hurting. You know, instead of saying, hey, you know, I want to win. I can win tonight. I can play. It's not, you know, I have a torn Achilles, so I'm going to play regardless. No, 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 obviously not. But my calf's stiff. Roll it out. Give me an Advil. I'm going in. You know, my back's stiff. Let Chiropractor, give me a quick stretch. Give me some Advil or Tylenol. I'm going in. You know, like when, um, I'm trying to think of a scenario, but like when guys get hurt and they come back limping onto the floor and you're like, why are they playing? And they're trying to play through it. Those guys I have so much respect for because they show it. You know what I mean? There's mm. no question of their resolve. There's no question of their passion for the sport because they are genuinely leaving themselves out on the floor. And that's something I love and I can resonate with. I can't resonate with somebody looking at it just, oh, it's, it's my job. I do it. I go home. You know, I have other passions. I have other hobbies that I prefer. Well, that, fair do that then. Like, fair enough. Like, in all honesty, you don't, you, you know, you don't need to do this. You don't need, you know, I understand it's millions of dollars. I'm not even trying to argue that point either. But at the end of the day, it's still for me, as much as I know it is a job, I still love sport for what it is as a, as a concept. As me versus on my best, you on your best, and we live with the result, regardless of what the result is. Mm-hmm. So I, I I love your point, and I, I can echo it. I can't echo it enough with my little rant about player participation. But I think incentivizing in contracts is the way the NBA is going to start moving when athletes start only playing 50, 60 games to try to get them to play more games. Um. But I don't know if faking injuries will become an even bigger problem because Cajun, we, we're not even, a, we're what, a couple weeks into the NBA season, two weeks in now? Yeah. And Cage, how many stars are already out? Kyrie's out. Darius Garland's out. Bradley Beal's out. Booker took a day off already. Booker's like, been out since like the first game of the season. Yeah, so like it, everybody's hurt apparently already. The game, the season just started, Cage. So like we're like 30, 40 games in and you've been lingering or something since game uh, 10 or 11. Like we're what, five, six games into the regular season? And there's guys already mm-hmm. hurt. Like what were you guys doing all off season? Like what are we doing? And I think that's the biggest issue. Like injury management is overlooked in this. Especially during the off season. It ain't there enough. It ain't being done enough. Um, that combined with like the over overabundance of caution, I wouldn't say just from the players, but also from the medical staff too. Because we gotta like we gotta say this like they gotta like players also have to be cleared by the medical staff to play too. And I feel like the players' caution combined with like the caution of the medical staff is kind of exab exert uh, is like exasper like making this issue even bigger well cage here's an example and i use this example because i thought i'd be right and i am so follow me through this so obviously larry burr played four uh-huh. years in college came into the nba 23 how many seasons do you think he played 70 or more games in not started 70 games or more, but played in 70 or more games. And I'll tell you, he played, 
Quick County played from 23 to 35, so we'll call it 12 seasons, 12, 13 seasons. 10. Well, I think he played more than that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You actually are dead right. It's 10. He had one season of 60, and he had had, one of 45 at the end of his career. He had back issues at the end of his career. That's what I was kind of like factoring in. Yeah, he only played six games in 88-89. But think about it, Cage. From age 23 to 31, he missed an 82-game season. He started only 58 in his third year out of 77, but he never missed more than 74 games or never played less than 74 games in his in his first, what is that, eight seasons? Mm-hmm. Like in his, in, in his first, I, I guess in the first nine seasons, he played no less than 73 games or no, they played no less than 74 games of an 82-game season. And I think that's why people glorify the 80s and the 90s and even the, the 70s respectively. Is because guys like Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Akeem Olajuwon, uh, Scottie Pippen, I'm trying to think of Charles Barkley, um, Patrick Ewing, all those guys, Shaquille O'Neal even at the end, all of those guys, David Robertson, Carl Malone, uh, the, John Stockton, all of those guys I've just said are known as guys who played a lot of minutes in a lot of games, and didn't miss a whole lot of time. And I'm not going to say they weren't injured doing it. But you can't act like there's a massive difference because they were more physical then than they are now. I'm mm-hmm. not saying the game's not faster now because it, def- it unequivocally is, Cage. The game is way faster now. But the game was more physical back then. There was more contact back then. And here's another thing, Cage, before we move on from Larry Bird. How many minutes do you think he averaged in his career? He played almost 900 games. He started 870 games. How many minutes do you think he averaged over his career per 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 uh, per 48? Let me say 40. 38.4. He averaged 39.5 and 40.6 minutes per game in two different seasons. Damn. Like again, it's not just he played so many games. He played so many minutes. Like, he only sat in a basketball game in 86-87 on average of about eight minutes. On average eight minutes. So that most likely means it was less than that on some nights and obviously more than that on other nights. Mm. Like, and he averaged 28 doing it. 28 points a game. Nine rebounds. Seven assists. Like, I'm not trying to say that athletes aren't tough. That's not the conversation I'm trying to have. It's I don't know where it went from guys like Larry Bird, like Michael Jordan, like Scottie Pippen, like Carl Malone, like John Stockton, who played every single game, night in, night out, did their job and went home, playing as many minutes as they could, to now where guys, you'll be lucky to see them play 65 games. Be lucky to see them play 70 games. Well, see, and this is the issue, and this is just with society and, like, issues just in general about extremes the problem with the 80s is like these guys play through everything but at what cost at the end of it all because some people are a shell of their former selves larry bird as an example like you can tell you went through you can tell he's been through he's been through the grind like i think he had he he had he has a debilitating back issue that he played through 
And I think he I think during that during that season in which he played only six games, he had bone spurts removed from both of his heels. So like the way he walks is like isn't as he did during the during his days as a as a player. Um and it's been that way for like a lot of the eighties and nineties players. But so there should like caution to avoiding situations like that is the right thing to do, but it's gone to the extreme. Now it's just like people just now it's just like athletes being too cautious of themselves or just resting like when they feel any sort of adversity. And it's like Yes, you got to have caution and, like, know your body well and, like, manage it well. But you got to have some tough skin. You got to have some, you got you to gotta fight through a little bit of adversity. You got to fight through a little, you're going to have nicks and bruises and injuries throughout your playing career. And so it was some that you can, some that you can play through. Problem is, like, the minute injuries come about, it people just rest people just sit out and i don't want to say i i can't say i blame the players because one example of this was isaiah thomas not the detroit isaiah thomas but the, the celtics isaiah thomas went through went through so played his heart out with boston and was in line to get a big, big contract. But then played through a hip issue. And played through it so much that he wasn't the same player after that. So. Players are trying to look after a player like this. I think there's just a ton of factors here that have to be fixed. And I don't think it's just the players. Because. Because if players see like a situation from Isaiah Thomas, it's like, oh, damn, I got to like, I got to be cautious and like watch like, like get, go after the bag. And it's sad. And it's sad because like. It shouldn't be like that. But like team. Teams and organizations, even if even if you give everything that you have, like Isaiah Thomas, Thomas, they might drop you like like in a heartbeat. So it's just like there's a ton of moving factors in this. I I definitely agree with you there, Cage. That I'll say ownership has to take an accountability for it as well as being so cutthroat with players and cutting and slicing and dicing them. And I know that's their prerogative. You're trying to win. Most of them are trying to win. Some of them are trying to make money, which they're the owners. We don't, none of us like, might I add, but regardless. But I, I agree that it's not just the athletes, but I put a lot of onus on them. I do, personally. That That's me. I put a lot of onus on them. But mm-hmm. I do agree with you that coaching and, and the, 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 the uh, organization structure and obviously the ownership have something to do with it because if the athletes do not feel secure with their ownership – they're not going to play through what 
guys yesteryear would have played through, like Barkley, like Jordan, like Larry Bird, of course, etc. But now moving off of the player participation policy or lack thereof, let's move on to some games that happened in the past couple of days. And I think the one we got to start with, Cajun, is the best team in basketball, the Boston Celtics. Right now, yes. Scored a second team high, 155 points. Yeah, you heard me right. 155 points in a 155-104 win over the Indiana Pacers. Obviously, without Tyrese Halliburton for Indiana. That game game would have been a lot closer with him there. Eh, but but maybe 20 points closer, but not 40. Not 41. No, it would would be. Halliburton's a big part of that team. I I agree. Cage, don't don't think we're talking bad about Tyrese Halliburton on this show. But he can't guard everybody. He can't guard everybody. Yeah, but he can help other people score. Yeah, but he can't guard everybody. When you got, what, seven guys on the Boston Celtics get double digits? Seven guys? Make that eight guys? I didn't see Dolan O'Bannon get 11. You know, Rex Eight Dale guys? Finals. Eight guys? Eight guys get double digits, including Tatum with 30, 12, and four. 12 rebounds, four assists. D. White lighting it up from behind the arc. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what else to say, Gage. 155 points. Second highest in team history. Man. Um, I knew the offense was good, Cage. I didn't know it was that good. Well, Drew Holiday said a lot of good nuggets in this one, like after the game in this one. And I rate it. Like, the way they've started this season... He says it's not like he does not like they're looking at not getting complacent and locking into every game in each opponent. Now, sure. The last two games have been against relatively inferior opponents. One in the god awful Washington Wizards. You still got to beat him, though, Cage. Exactly. And the Indiana Pacers without Halliburton, but you still got to be, you still got to beat those teams. We saw what happened between Portland and Toronto for crying out loud. You got to take care of the little teams. You can't play down to your competition. Um, and he also said this. He also said this, and I feel like this is what was missing from the Celtics teams of like a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. We've got everything. We've got everything, right? We're in the paint. There's a mid-range. And you have the three. I feel like that threat threat makes us even harder to guard. I feel like we have a lot of bases covered. And that's really important. That that quote's really important. Because what was the problem with the Celtics during the playoffs last season? They relied too much on the three ball. To an unhealthy degree. To a rocket's degree. Like... It got to the point where I think I said like they they might be the most talented yet dumbest team I've ever dumbest team offensively I've ever seen. Yeah, I think that's a quote. Um, but that's not the case with this team. They're doing it. In, they're doing it from the mid range, in the paint, from behind the arc when 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 it opens up, and they've got so many threats at the starting position. You got. So many two-way guys: Drew Holiday, Derek White, Jason Tatum. 
Jalen Brown. Even Porzingis, Porzingis wasn't known as a great defender in his early days, but he's gotten better. There's no weaknesses in that starting lineup. And I'm going to be honest, Spencer. This is kind of what I expected the Celtics to be. I didn't expect them to be like this four games in into the season. And that's the biggest surprise for me. Well, Cage, and, you well, go ahead. And I think the only thing that will really stop this team is injuries. But you can say that for any team. You can say that for everybody. Yeah, just about especially all the good teams like Milwaukee, like Boston, like Golden State, like um, uh, L.A. probably now the Clippers and then Phoenix who all look like title contenders at this point. We'll see if those actually play out as the season goes on. Because, again, we're only, you know, four or five, six games in, whatever, for whatever, whichever team you look at. But one thing I want to talk about, Kate, okay, I, I know we, I mentioned it a lot during the WNBA and the World Cup broadcasts you and I did, the live reactions you and I did. Yeah. There's four factors that end up possession in basketball. Four. Jump yeah. shot, free throw, rebound, turnover. Those four things will dictate the score scoreline of a basketball game. Those are the four building blocks of how you look at a basketball game. After that, then there's the subcategories of how you get to those, obviously get to those particular, you know, outcomes. But those are the four outcomes. Boston shot 56% from the field, 57% from three, 96% from the free throw line, going 27 for 28 from the free throw line. They out-rebounded Indiana 57-31, including out-rebounding them offensively 11-8. to they lost a turnover differential by two, 11 turnovers for Boston, nine for Indiana, but Indiana only had one more steal in six steals to five for the Celtics. So meaning they only had actually six possessions off of a turnover, like fast break opportunities, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. So Boston outshot them by a landslide. Indiana shot 13% from three and shot more threes. They shot 37 from the from three-point land. Boston only shot 35. Boston made 40. Indiana made five. And that's where you really find the difference in the scoreline cage. 15 Hmm. made threes is a lot of points. Seven seven free throws made out of 12, 58%, compared to 27 made out of 28. That's the the 41 points right there. That three-point percentage and that free throw percentage. So... That's why I talk about those particular outcomes is because right there, that Boston game shows you exactly why. Because even if Boston shoots 40% from three and Indiana shoots 20% from three, the scoreline is a hell of a lot closer. If Indiana has, you know, four or five more free throws and make all four or five of those free throws, I know it's not a whole lot of points, but it's still five more points than than they had in the end. So... Mm. Boston dominated in basically every single category. And that is how you win a basketball game by 41 points. Is you, you can't just be a good rebounding team or a good shooting team or a good defensive team. You got to be good at everything. And this Celtics team, I, very early in the season, is arguably good at everything. They can rebound. They can shoot from the paint. They can post you up. They can shoot the three ball. They can play really good defense. All of those things can happen for the Celtics in any given game. So they don't have to rely on one of those to win every night. Like the Raptors, in my opinion, need to rely on their defense every night to win. 
and that is not sustainable for 82 games. The Celtics can kill you with a three ball one night. They can kill you from inside another night. They can kill you with playing defense and winning a, a 102-100 game. And that gives them so much more opportunity to have Tatum have a bad night, Brown have a bad night, Porzingis have a bad night, but still be able to find a way to win. And that's how good teams become great. It's finding ways to win when you don't deserve to win. Like when the Raptors lost to Portland, that's a game where the Raptors needed to find a way to win, and they couldn't. Oh, they deserve to lose that game. But ex- exactly. But that's how good teams become great teams, Cage. You win games you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You find ways to win and steal games. Where it's like, I don't even know how the hell they won that game, Cage. I just skipped my mind how they even got how they got out of that with a win. But yeah, we t- you take the win. You take the win. What? But, what, the Milwaukee one? Well, any win. You know, you steal a win from anybody, you you take it. Obviously, the Raptors stealing their win from Milwaukee definitely helps. And I know that Lillard and Porzingis. Nah, I don't even think they stole it. They took it. Well, uh, I mean, they definitely did. But Lillard and Giannis had a bad night. You know, showing a little bit of vulnerability. And they haven't exactly acclimated as quickly as the Boston Celtics have. So I guess we should transition over after that. Absolute great Celtics performance against Milwaukee. With, again, eight guys having double digits or more. Um, the Raps beat Milwaukee 131-11 at Scotiabank. So that Cajun was there. So Cajun inside scoop what it looked like there down in down right downtown Toronto on uh was that Bay Street or Front Street? Bay and Front. I well I did get both. I, I thought I was close. I've I've been at Union before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> haven't we all? Um, I hopefully you haven't. Are you listening out there? The few that are listening out there. Hopefully you haven't. Um, honestly, I was shook. I was like, who are these guys? Who are these guys? But no, out of all seriousness, they punched them in the mouth to start things off. Because it was wire to wire. And I think that was the, that was the case for the Celtics. Unless, unless the Pacers somehow had a 2-0 lead at the beginning. No, they did not. Well, they tied it at a couple of. No, they actually did have a lead. Wow. Never mind. Bad performance, Cajun. The Celtics got to sell. Okay, got to everybody. How how could they let the Pacers lead in that game? How how could they do it to me? Can't believe how could you Cajun. beat them by fifty one and ha- and let them have a lead at one point. Forty one, Cage. I wish it was fifty one. Forty one. Do your math. It was fifty one. Forty one for my count. One fifty five, one hundred four. Yeah. Yeah. 155 minus 104 ain't 41, man. Oh, yeah, I was definitely adding an extra one there in the 10 10 column. You're right. You're right. I can't do math. You're right. You're right. I can't read. I blame my eyes. Who am I dyslexia? You're right. It's it's one. It's 51.1. It's even better than I thought. How about that? Yeah. How about that? (laughs) Anyway, continue. Raptors Um, against Milwaukee. Well, they put, they put, well, they started off well. Case in point, their first three makes were threes after making all of four against Portland. Um, and that that was their worst shooting performance since 2017 from behind the arc. Um, but they did all the little things that they didn't do against Portland. And I said this after Portland, I'm like, yo, watch them beat Milwaukee and just like give us all like like mess with our heads. But those two games showcase what the worst of the Raptors could be 
and the best of what the Raptors could be. And not only did the ball zip early, early on, they had like throughout the season, they've been turning the ball over a lot, but I don't mind those sort of turnovers because they're not trying to like, they're trying to make that extra pass and trying to do too much, like in terms of like moving the ball around and that you can kind of put up with us, uh, like other than like bogging the game down, going ISO and then turning the ball over like that. So it was kind of sloppy to start things off. But they also forced the Bucks into turnovers. After missed shots, they boxed out. So there was no offensive rebounds. Like the many that DeAndre Ayton got in DeAndre Ayton got on Monday. They moved the ball around. They put they gave Giannis different looks on defense. Basically put him in a straight jacket in the first half. He only had three three points in the first half. Um and made and they suffocated Lillard. They didn't let him get comfortable. He albeit he had ten first I think he had ten first half points, but six of them were from the free throw line. So they did it on both ends of the floor. They did it on both ends of the floor. And I think the biggest thing is they finally got Pascal Siakam involved within the offense. Because too many times I've seen too many times during the season thus far, I've seen Pascal, I've seen Pascal just like blend in the blend in the background. Not leaving his imprint. And maybe it's just him trying to figure things out. He did say that post game. Against Port against Portland, and maybe that was the case. Maybe, maybe this is and and I said this before. I said this after Portland's like when we when we were dissecting what went wrong during the Portland Toronto game. This is go. It's going to take time because it's a new system and a new coach. And yes, last night. That was the best. That's the best iteration of the Raptors. Now, could they get better? Yes. They could stop turning the ball over as much. But Siakam got involved. Per even Pearl got involved in the pick and roll with Schroeder. And they've built some bird they they've increasingly built their chemistry. Scotty Barnes has had an amazing start to to the season. Had another had another double double. OG Ananobi was perfect from the field. But, and on top of that, Dennis Schroeder, FIBA World Cup MVP, aka the best player in the world, twenty four points and eleven assists. He really dictated the pace of the offense and call uh, and was an excellent game manager. And even there there were some positives from the bench. Malachi Flynn played well in that second half and even had three steals. He went he went from behind and stole stole the ball from Giannis. Grady Dick took 10 10 shots wasn't efficient. But he moves within the flow of the offense better than people than I than I would have thought heading into the season. 
we even got we even got to see some Otto Porter Jr. minutes. So credit Toronto for making the adjustment from Portland to Milwaukee. And this this game might be a sign that the 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 Raps are starting to figure things out. Keyword why I'm saying starting is that there's going to still be ups and downs of a new system. You still have to adjust to other teams because Milwaukee's not the same team as Philadelphia or Dallas or Detroit or Boston. I'm going to be really excited to see that game because like, I think that's going to be a great measuring stick for Toronto to see how they fare against a great team in the Celtics. Um, but it's a it's an excellent bounce back. And what's more important is like they're on a back to back. These guys, I, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm gonna go back to like the box score to see like the minutes, the minutes that they played. I'm I'm, I'm looking at it right now, Cage. What do you need? Aside from Siakam, who only played 33 minutes, 32 yeah. for my count. But regardless, you're right. Just over 30. The other starters played below 30 minutes. When would you ever see that last year when Nick Nurse was coaching? He wouldn't. There is no could have or would have. No, no. He wouldn't. Exactly. And I think that bodes well on the second night. Like now on the second night of a back-to-back tonight against Philly, those sea legs that you wouldn't usually have aren't really there. You're a lot more fresh after taking care of business, which I, I'm going to be honest, Spence, did not think was possible, but did not think was possible after the lackluster effort they had against the Trailblazers. But when things go right, if if there was a game, if there was a, if there was a, this, things went right from start to finish, this game was that for the Raptors. Well, I think again, Cajun, I think I think a stat line for the Raptors and the Raptors fans that everyone's going to be staring at for basically the entire season is the assist category. The Raptors had 19 in their loss to Portland. In their win over Milwaukee, they had 35 from my count. Yes, 35, Cajun. So that's the difference right there. Is This team is built on passing. So if they can't hit their shots... They're not gonna win, and I think and I know that's really stupid to say because obviously if you don't score more points than the other team, you're not gonna win. But I more mean when the passing isn't where the Raptors want it to be, they're not going to win. If they're passing the ball really well, they're gonna be playing really well, and that's something that's gonna I think become a storyline throughout this season as it goes along. And I think what there was also okay, maybe the rebounding edge wasn't as bad as I thought in the Portland game. Um, but the rebounding, 50 to 29. No second chance opportunity whatsoever for the Bucks. One and done. And you push the pace. 15 to 7 offensive rebounds in favor of, of Toronto. And five of them coming from Scotty Barnes, who's... Helping out the fantasy team, Cajun. Helping out the fantasy team. Helping out the fantasy team, baby. And he's hitting. And what's really surprised me is how more fluid his jump shot looks. He ain't hesitating. And I think that's what I like seeing from Siakam today. Like, 
I remember like a moment in which Scotty came off of Siakam's pick and passed it over to Siakam at the top of the key, and the man did not hesitate. Just let one fluid motion, let it fly, cash nothing but net. And I think teams aren't going to respect Toronto because of the lack of shooting that they have. They had, they've had over the last two, three seasons. If you're open, you got to take it and not hesitate. And that's why I think, like, Grady Dick being on the floor kind of is, what's the word? It's contagious. Because he's not hesitating. Sure, he went one for eight, but he's not hesitant on letting it fly. And I think that's contagious and, like, percolates to the rest of the roster. And tonight, at least three-point shooting-wise and assist-wise, it showed. And I am I guess going off on Dennis Schroeder in that sense, he's – I and this might be early, it's five games, but the way I've seen him operate within the flow of this offense – He's a better he was a better fit as a point guard than Fred Van Vliet was. Because he's looking like it he's looking more or less so to pass. Now if he's open, I'll take it. But he's using his speed. And Trying to get other teammates involved and trying to flow with it, trying to trying to get within the system of like trying to play to this system that Rayakovic has implemented. And I'm not sure if you would could have I'm not sure if you would have seen that with Fred Van Vliet. I I definitely can't argue with that cage. Um, another point. I want to bring up quick here if I can kind of let my brain again filter through what I was going to say about the Toronto Raptors is, but again, every starter did score double digits, which yeah. doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence with this bench still, in my opinion, even though Gary Trent Jr. is on it, even though Grady Dick is on it. But here you go. Here's my point. So what you said about Grady Dick, about him having confidence and him not being scared to shoot regardless, well, that makes me think of Cage, honestly, and this might make you chuckle, is the the Kevin Garnett story about Paul Pierce. KG was talking to Paul Pierce about Paul Pierce on a, on a round table of some description for the NBA. And uh, he looked right at Paul Pierce and he said, do you remember when you told Kendrick Perkins in practice, he shot a, he shot a bad shot apparently, like a, a mid-ranger because Paul Pierce he apparently shot a bad shot. And Kendrick was like, hey, Paul, I was open. You, you know, give me the ball. And Paul looked at him. And he looked at the sky, and KG said, anytime you see Paul Pierce, look at the sky, run. And then he said the quote of, man, I shoot that blank again. <laughs> and, and, then, and, then, and then apparently uh, Kendrick Perkins responded to this particular, um, this particular comment, Cajun, to, um, so that's we're talking, really? Okay, that's we're talking to each other now? Which I thought was really funny. So apparently, Grady Dick's giving you Paul Pierce vibes. So if he'll shoot that mother again. Hey, man. Shooter's got to shoot. And he is a shooter. And 
he was a shooter coming out of college. So why break away from that? And honestly, like the way how last season ended in which the Raptors couldn't make a free throw to save their lives or was hes- or were hesitant offensively down the stretch. You need a guy like that that's not afraid to let it fly or is brash about like shot selection. Like if you're open, you're going to shoot the damn ball. Well, and, and this goes to another adage, Cage, that I'm going to use. It was a D3 school, and I can't remember what they were. Something Wesleyan. And they were yeah. three-time Division three champions. And they shot like 60% from inside the arc and 40% from outside the arc. They were fantastic. All of their starting lineup was like 6'5", 6'4". All of them could shoot and whatever. And their coaching staff would tell them, you have to take that shot. If you catch the ball behind the three-point line, you have to take that shot because we need the defense to defend that shot. So you have to take that shot. It's kind of that adage. Of when you catch the ball and you don't shoot it, you're for allowing the defense to not have to defend that shot. So force them to defend that shot. Force them to come out to try to stop you. Then you swing the ball. Because mm-hmm. if you don't look like you're never going to shoot, they're never going to come out to defend you. You never look at the rim, they're never going to come out to defend you. They're going to laugh at you, point, and they're going to keep rotating. They're going to beat you because now they're one rotation ahead. They're one guy ahead because they know yeah. you're not shooting the ball. So, you know. As you say, shooters shooting as Dennis Schroeder, uh, Schroeder with 11 assists and what I think 24 points. Passers pass, yeah. and even he, even he's a passer at 24. And I gotta credit Schroeder. I gotta I gotta credit Dennis Schroeder. Like based off of like, yeah, he's been like a walking meme in terms of like rejecting the bag because allegedly he was supposed to get a four-year, 84 million dollar contract. People were kind of saying he fumbled the bag, but I got to tell you, Spence, like, he's really, like, he's really showcased, like, what he can be and, and, like, how he can adjust to every role. Because with the Lakers, he had to be that defensive present, and he had to be, like, a defensive-minded guy at the one one spot and hound opposing point guards. That was mainly what his role was, and to hit open shots. And did he struggle with hitting shots down down the, the during the Lakers playoff run? Yeah, but you can't you couldn't deny that defensively he was there. And now he's finally had he's finally had a chance in Toronto to like spread his wings more as the starting point guard, and he's done it well so far, shooting fifty percent from three, nine point two assists per game. And sixteen points per and sixteen points per game. Now five five games in. It is early, but it's encouraging. That and, it is, Cage. And switching over to the other team, the Bucks. And a performance like this from Dennis Schroeder, I think exposes a big issue in the bu- with the Bucks. Because look at this, look at the, if we're talking about contenders, and you and I can both agree, like, the top two dogs in the East are the Celtics and the Bucks. I mean, you put them first, I put them second, so, I mean, you and I definitely do concur that the Bucks and Milwaukee, uh, the, the, the Bucks in Milwaukee, the Bucks and the Celtics, obviously, are the two top dogs in the Eastern Conference, and there really is no third dog. There are only mm-hmm. two heads. I'm not even so sure if the Bucks are the second team, is 
I'm not so sure if the Bucks could be that second team. I'm gonna I be mean, honest. I, mean, I don't. I don't know because the thing with the Celtics when we were raving about them like just earlier on is that they have no weaknesses defensively or offensively in in their starting lineup. As talented offensively as Damian Lillard is, he is a sieve on the defensive end. Case in point, Dennis Schroeder going off for 24 and 11. And I think good point guards, Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday, Trey Young, this happened, this actually, DeJounte Murray, him being a point guard and all, uh, Steph Curry, Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen um, Brunson, Jalen Brunson, yeah, and so on. All those good point guards, when they see Milwaukee, they are going to be licking their chops because it's going to be a field day for them if Lillard's guard, guarding them. Gotta be honest here, if Trey, if it's a Trey Young, Damian Lillard matchup, those both are gonna drop in fifty. So they're gonna nullify each other, nullify each other out. Because let's be honest, Trey Young, Trey Young don't play no defense either. Well, yeah, that's fair. So, that's so fair. My, I think my, if Lillard and Young match up, Cage, that's gonna be like a, a 50-50 night, and we're gonna see who which supporting cast does better. Wouldn't Murray, wouldn't Dejounte Murray guard Lillard if that? Oh no, that's that's what I mean though. No, Dejounte Murray would guard Damian Lillard, but I'm saying if Trey Young and Lillard guarded each other. It'd be a 50-50 yeah, that, That's a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> both those guys are shooting 60 from the floor that night. That's, that's what's going to happen, Cage. They're both shooting from 40 feet. Mm-hmm. And then Shea and Tyrese Maxey, too. Both, they're going to look at the... If they see the Milwaukee Bucks on their schedule, and they see Lillard's guarding them, they're going to scream out barbecue chicken. Because as talented as Yon, Lillard and Giannis are and Chris Milton once he gets back to... Once he gets back to the old Chris, Chris Milton that he is, once like the minutes rest- restriction gets lifted off of him, and then you got a great defensive presence in Brook Lopez. But there's not a lot of two-way threats on that Bucks team, and that to me is concerning because Giannis. It's been proven that Giannis can be stopped in the playoffs. Lillard's defensive deficiencies, if as if they haven't been exposed enough already as it is, will be even more magnified come postseason time. And Chris Middleton, as much as he is decent defensively, he's gone through a ton of injuries. You have to wonder if he's going to be the same Chris Middleton. So there's like a ton... To me, for Milwaukee, there is there's a ton of deficiencies and flaws on that team right now, and I think having Drew Holiday really kind of shored up something on the defensive end. But ever since, but losing Drew Holiday and getting Damian Lillard opened up a defensive issue for them, and I think that's the biggest issue is defense at the point of attack. Because let's be real here, Spencer. Nobody's going to be opposing opposing backcourts are not going to be scared at the thought of Lillard and Malik Beasley guarding them. And I think for Milwaukee, that's something they have to fix, whether it's internally or by a trade or putting Marjan Beauchamp in, who's been a great defender on his in his own right. Something's gotta change for Milwaukee, or Lillard's gonna have to put 
Lowe's going to have to like dig in even deeper on defense and sacrifice some of his offense in the process too, because this ain't going to be an easy fix. No, it will not. But Cage, let's go quickly to the scalable board. I've got two names. I've got yep. two. Let's start with number one. Are you ready? Yep. N N B A U O Y. And I believe I got every letter in that. I believe I did. Let me make sure I go recheck. OG Ananobi. It is OG Ananobi. And why is OG Ananobi on the, the scoreboard today? It's because on the NBA.com website, on the very league website, apparently the 76ers may be linked to Zach Levine and OG Ananobi as trade candidates to be added to the team since they traded away James Harden. Now, I'm not saying there's any smoke to that fire cage, but maybe Nick Nurse is looking for a reunion with his former small forward slash power forward. No, none of that. None of that. So that he can play 40 minutes and get injured? Yeah, none of that. Well, Cage, I understand you. I know I know how much of a fan you are of Nick Nurse. So let's go to my second name, Cage. Now, Cage, this is a little bit of a trick one, okay? Wait, this I got to I, I, I I say the Govy name because you know how much I like Govy oh, names. Oh, God. Not OG. Leave OG oh. out of this. Ogugwa Ananobi Jr. I'm happy you can pronounce it. Anyway, so the second name I've got, only, I only have two names this week. Okay. The second name is a trick name. And it All is right. not a player's name. Okay. It is a character they dressed up as for Halloween. It was a person or a thing they dressed up as for Halloween. During can the I NBA, guess, can game. I guess? But can I guess it before you even put it in there? Of course. Slenderman. Well, Cajun, you only took all the fun away, so I'm gonna do it anyway because it took me forever to actually get this one spelled out. L N M E E A R S D N Slenderman, and of course that goes to Victor Wembenyama, who dressed as the Slenderman, and then ironically, the Shaquille O'Neal didn't know who Slenderman was, <laughs> and then Charles Barkley had to make fun of him by saying, "Because you never were, you never were slim." <laughs> <laughs> on live television, folks. That's why that's why everyone loves them. That's why everyone loves Shaq, Barkley, Kenny Smith, and then Ernie Johnson, of course. Hey, you know why I'm glad Wichter. One of the few white guys with the N-word pass might I add. One of the few guys in the drive to the hood with no problems. Is well, Ernie Johnson. You know why I love Wick, Victor Wimbanyama being in San Antonio too? Why? Charles Barkley could just let, let those churro churro jokes and those San Antonio woman jokes fly. Hey, he doesn't make those jokes anymore because he had some churros. And, mm, were they good? Yeah, I hey. see what the fuss is about, Cajun. Boy, them churros good. Uh, like them things, Kate. Them you things know, you know how much good. I wish, like I dream of having an NHL show like Inside the NBA or NFL show like Inside the NBA, and you had guys like Barkley, like Shaq, like Ernie Johnson, and even Kenny and the Jet Smith. In fairness. Guys like that, because we don't have those types of shows here in, in Canada for hockey, but in, in particular hockey, I'll say football, too. Like, imagine baseball had a show, like, inside the NBA. Like, remember when remember when Joey Votto had that rant at Mad Dog Russo we talked about a couple weeks ago when he made that prediction about the, the, the Diamondbacks? Yeah. He had that rant at Mad Dog Russo because everyone could be Roger Peckinpah, Mad Dog. Like, that's... That's a funny line. Like, we need players to be more charismatic and be okay being themselves, even if they're unlikable. It's okay to be the heel, be the bad guy, be the only guy getting booed. Be except okay it, with that. 
Except in Barkley's case, he's the heel and is likable. He Barkley is the only guy on television that can be a person that is not nice and still be cheered. Mm-hmm. Skip Bayless gets booed. Stephen A gets booed. All those guys get booed. Sha- uh, <laughs> Charles Barkley can go to San Antonio right now and get cheers and boos and still say the line about all the big old women down there in San Antonio. Oh, you know, because you know that's I, who he I don't is. know what's funnier, the line itself or the fact that Shaq nearly falls over the set every time. And then Kenny before. stirs the pot, as he always does, stirs the pot, like, what you, what, what's wrong with the San Antonio woman? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? What, what's got the big woman down there in San Antonio. What's going on there in San Antonio? You know, and, and then, and then, and then Ernie, the Ernie's got a face palm and like, why am I doing this? I'm not paid enough for this. Oh, Ernie, Ernie, Ernie low-key enjoys it. <laughs> well, no, duh. It gives ads ratings, but, like, he definitely, in the back of his mind, is like, oh, I don't get paid enough for this. <laughs> like, every, every third show, Shaq and Barkley on each other saying, I'm going to move furniture. And it's like, come on. You two you two got hit replacements. Y'all ain't like moving no furniture. <laughs> Y'all have backs to get cranked out, guys. Come on now. You guys haven't moved furniture in 20 years. Oh, boy. God, those guys never moved furniture, Cajun. Come on now. They even moved furniture since they were in high school, since they were in college. Since they went to Auburn, LSU, two B-League schools anyway. God, by golly. Could you imagine, Cajun? Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Well, moving furniture when you, have, when you have back and hip and knee problems. Like, by God. Ah, Lucky my back. Ah, my back. Ah, yeah. my hip. Ah, yeah. my knee. Ah. Yeah, exactly. The, Kev- the Kevin Hart joke. Exactly. Oh, like, can't, can't believe it, Cajun. Cannot believe it but i think on to our, our last topic in the yeah. doc because i run back to it i guess now we still have two left so i guess we'll, we'll run quickly through so uh disappointing teams cage memphis they suck without john morant that's yeah. official and i actually cage i have a i have a i have a thing to say i have something to give away to the audience i was listening back for the first time i think really ever i listened back to a segment i listened back to when you and i talked about our top five coaches in the nba great summer by the way I think yeah. episode 11 or 12. Would recommend to go back and listen to it. We put our top five. I even still have the list here, Cage, on one of my old checks. Yeah. Eric Spolstra, one. Mike Malone, two. Rick Carlisle, three. Steve Kerr, four. Mike Brown, five. Mike Brown, of course, with Sacramento Kings, if you didn't know. We talked about the coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. A, we'd never, I'd never heard of him. We talked about how we, this first 25 games without John Morant would be the detail of how good of a coach he was. They're now winless to start their season. 0-5 are the Memphis Grizzlies right now. They are last in the Western Conference. Yeah, yeah. And it would have, they're and it last. Would have been, and it would have been one thing if they were playing good teams, but one of those losses was to the goddamn Wizards. The mighty Washington Wizards, who are ironically ahead of the Miami Heat. <laughs> oh, oh, they're so bad. They're so garbage. They suck. I, I, so I bad. bet you. I bet you so if the bad. playoffs was between one and fifteen, and it was Boston versus Miami. You might be. Kyle a Lowry is garbage. Kyle Lowry's a bum. He's old and should retire. Jimmy Butler, averaging sixteen and a half points a game. Bum. B U M. Bum. All I gotta say. You didn't say anything about Tyler Hero. Well, cause I love Tyler Hero. I like Tyler Hero. I like I like Bam Adebayo. Jim, I mentioned Bam Adebayo in this, but Jimmy Butler, bum. Kyle Lowry, bum. I don't even see Caleb Martin. Oh, great job. He's averaging two points. He's played one game, played one minute. Bum. B-U-M, Cajun. Bum. Yeah, Celtics killer. Celtics game seven killer. Caleb yeah, and then Martin. And then went over in the next game, in game one of the finals. Ofer. 
hey man didn't go over in the game that mattered yeah no he went and he went he he just went uh cold and went small in the biggest series that mattered but anyway Anyway, the yeah, the, the bottom two teams right now are the Miami Heat and Memphis Grizzlies. Those two, those two teams, well, one went to the NBA Finals in Miami. One was a two-seed in the Western Conference last year. So maybe the conferences are going to be very disillusioned. I think the Heat will fix it. I don't, know if, I don't know if Memphis will. And if Memphis doesn't, where are they going to end up finishing? Because now, Cajun, taking a quick little gander at my NBA standings coming into the year, I put the Grizzlies at six. That's looking a little high right now with the way this team looks. And now with the Clippers adding Harden, I probably should move. I probably should change that. We might have a change at the All-Star break. We might have a revisit of our standings to kind of allow us to have a, a redo, you know, a second chance bracket, if you will, to be able to fix well, where the Clippers are sat. Well, we didn't see, we didn't think the Harden trade was going to happen this early. We, we didn't. We didn't think, I, was, I didn't think it was going to happen at all. I thought he was going to be stuck there in, in Philly. But regardless, we didn't think the Grizzlies would start this bad. We didn't think the Clippers were going to get Harden. No one could have guessed that the Heat would start this bad. I still have it by Raptors prediction. Like, you know, give us a chance, especially when the All-Star break comes around. We get closer to the trade deadline. We see some big pieces move. If some big pieces do get moved and figure out, you know, what the teams look like. And maybe we'll have a little revisit of our NBA standings and who we would move if we were to move them. Mm Mm-hmm. But now to move on from the garbage, low-life, disgusting, no-good, rotten heat and the poor the job Morantless Memphis Grizzlies. Our last topic of the show. Marcus Smart. I love Marcus Smart, too. It sucks that he got found out he got traded from Boston on text message because, Cage, if it was trade deadline and Marcus Smart was out there because Memphis sucks, would I be mad at a reunion? No, I wouldn't. But And I'm going to be on, and I'm going to be honest. I have a confession here. I Uh-oh. was a fan of the Celtics. Once upon a time. Oh, of course. There, there it is. There's the but. 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 I think what they did with Isaiah Thomas kind of like turned me off. Wow. Well, it's a business cage. Anyway. Like, I was just like, that that, that didn't sit well with me. Like, you know, it's kind of sad that I can see it from both perspectives. I can see it from the owner perspective where it's a business, and I see it from the athlete perspective where it's a sport, but also a business. So, um, I do feel bad the way they handled the Isaiah Thomas situation, but and then now and then now with Marcus Smart, he found out through a text message. Yeah, no, he didn't find it through. Te- he found out through social media. He found out through social media that he was traded. Oh, he didn't get a text message. So sadly, I don't think it'll be a reunion between Marcus Smart and the Boston Celtics. I can only dream. But it doesn't look like that's going to be a outcome that's in favor of the uh, top Eastern Conference team of the Boston Celtics right now. He but anyway. He will get a heck of an ovation when he does make his return to Boston, though. I will tell you that. Uh, he might even get booed because, you know, Boston fans are kind of um, the worst at times. As a, as a Boston fan, I do know. How would you, like, it wouldn't make sense, but all right. Well, they still could. You know, I, I hope they cheer him. But I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sold because I, I've met Boston fans before. Fair anyway, enough. last topic of the, of, of the, of the show, Cage. Let's try to get out of here before we spend another hour and a half. LeBron James playing out of his mind in season number 21. Yes, yes, you heard that right. Because he came out of high school to play in the NBA, he is playing in season number 21. He's averaging 24 and a half, basically 24 and a half points, nine rebounds, six and a half assists on weather good efficiency in, eight, in season number 21 at age, what is it, 38? 38, 
He had 25 points, 12 or 12 rebounds, seven assists, two blocks in an OT win over the Los Angeles Clippers, 131-25, including him playing 20 or 42 minutes in the contest. Oldest player, the only player in NBA history to have a 35-plus point game in their 21st season. And you've seen guys that have played 20 or more seasons. Kobe was one of them. Dirk Nowitzki. Vince Carter played a ton of seasons, but wasn't the same player at the end of his career. So the fact that LeBron is doing this, at this stage of his career, at this stage of his career, where he could like other players would be in the either in the twilight phase of their careers or already like five, like three years retired. It's nothing short of amazing. And yeah, this was against a Clippers team that still doesn't have James Harden. But they also played Paul George and Kawhi on the second night of a back-to-back, too, which you never see happen. You've never seen happen like as of like the past season or two. Well, definitely not two seasons ago because Kawhi wasn't even playing in that season. But I digress. So the fact that he's doing that against good teams and that he's reminding people that he's still that dog and still a top five player in the game. Maybe, top, like, arguably you could put him at three. If he wins a title, you could put him at one. I still think Jokic is the best player in the league until proven otherwise. But LeBron's reminded people. He's, either, he's still here to stay until he, calls, until, until he calls it quits on his own terms. Well, Kitch, I don't know who, who you're putting in that top five, but I think the guy on the best team in the world, the Boston Celtics and Jason Tatum, should be on that top five list. But again, we're not going to have that argument here today. We'll have that argument when we're a little bit closer to the All-Star break. We start arguing about All-Star selections and who might make the All-NBA teams and All-Defensive well, teams and, and all that stuff. I, I either have them at two or three, so there's that. Well, above Embiid right now? Poor, poor Joel Embiid? I mean, poor, poor reigning MVP, Cage. But again, we're not going to have that argument here today. But I think we can agree Nikola Jokic is still the best player in the NBA, and it's not really close. No offense to Giannis, no offense to Embiid, no offense to my boy Jason Tatum, but there really is nobody close to the Nikola Jokic, the absolute just magnificent offensive player he is. And again, I understand defensively he's not as good as Giannis, as good as Embiid, but his offensive game is so much better than both those guys and so much more dynamic than both those guys. And with the league being more offensive than ever, you know, you, you can't really argue with him. And he's average defensively. I think, like, those defensive – he's not he's not a net negative defensive. He's not, a, like, a complete negative defensively. He's not Trey Young. He's not Trey Young. He can defend. His foot speed doesn't really allow it at times, but he's an average defender. Well, when you're averaging 26 points, 11 rebounds, and seven assists a game while shooting, well, while I get, while I get the shooting percentage here quick, shooting 60% from the floor and 35% from three, you you can let a basket in once in a while, Kate. You you can you can let your guy blow yeah. by you. You know you you, you can't like you can't. It's okay. Yeah. But anyway, any more gushing about the best player ever in LeBron James, in my opinion. <laughs> 
we will move out. So for Cajun, Theru, Thanny Castle, I'm Spencer Byers. Thank you so much for tuning in here today. We'll see you next Monday. Same time, same place, regularly scheduled programming here on the Outrage Inc.